following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I'm going to pray. Would you join me? Father, we thank you for this new day, this, this morning that is full of new mercies. God, we come this morning expecting to hear from you that, that you have good news for us to latch onto, to, to serve as, as a foundation for our lives. And so we pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Would you soften our hearts to receive? Would you use me as an instrument to communicate and to, to, to announce and to proclaim what you have in store for us as your people. And Father, would you, would you give us clarity, me clarity, in, in my speech, in, in my thought? Would you help me to, to experience what I'm preaching for myself? Um, and that way, as we come to your word, um, I'm not, my God, bleh, bleh, bleh. Can we cut after I read the sermon and then just transition to, I'll just say, pray with me as, all right, I figured. I got in my head. It's like, what am I praying for exactly? Would you join with me as we pray this morning? Father, we thank you for a new morning uh, with new mercies. We come to your word this morning expecting to hear from you, that, that in this word you have given us all that we need um, to know you, to understand what we need to understand You've provided some profound insights for us, not just in, in a spiritual sense, but in a way that affects everyday life. So w- would you, God, speak to us this morning. Open up our ears to hear you and our eyes to see your truth for what it is. Would you soften our hearts to receive it? And I ask that you would help me this morning, Father, a- as an instrument of your mercy. Would you, would you help me to think clearly, to speak with precision? God, would you give me a heart that's on fire with, with, for the message that you've given me this morning, God? And, and through this word, would you... Bless and enable your church to live as she is called, to, to make her radiant in glory. We ask this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. We all share this desire, a, a deep-rooted desire to be the best versions of ourselves. Uh, we, we have this longing to hit our full potential, to be all that we can be. And, and you can see this really play out in, in certain um, arenas like for example sports you see this um, as this documentary of, of Michael Jordan has been re- released in the past week or so um, you, you see this desire that Michael Jordan had to become the best basketball player that he could possibly could be it drove him uh, into to the locker or to the gym late night hoops doing all that he could do to reach that climax of being the best person he could be or, or, or even in the sense of, of the NFL draft is underway I, that's the only thing that's going on in sports right now so it's like you see all of these athletes you know they're, they're entering into their professional career they want to be the best that they can be for these teams 
But it's not just in sports. We see this in business. Um, we want to be the best leader we can be, the best teacher, the best employee that we can be to hit the biggest gains or whatever it might be. And, and there's no shortages of, of, of input or, or advice on how to become that type of person. There, there are libraries full of books. We've got all kinds of social media influencers and celebrities who are encouraging us to, to step into that, to, to optimize ourselves, to become all that we could be. And so in this, we see, in this deep-rooted desire that we have, uh, a longing to achieve some type of glory, right? A, a sense of, of being a standout or being recognizable. Now, it's easy for us to do this Maybe in theory, I guess easy in theory, um, to do it in one particular area of our life. Like, like with Michael Jordan, you see with basketball, he, he's, he excels in every aspect of the game, but there are very few people who can do this in every area of their life, right? To be a good, you know, for Michael Jordan's case, to be a good athlete, and then to be a good husband, and a good dad, and to be a good teammate. All these things to spread it out across the board so that as a, a, a comprehensive human being, we achieve or, or lean into becoming the best human we can possibly, possibly be. Possibly be. So, so the question is, how do we do that? How do, how do we do it across the entire spectrum of our lives? How, how do we attain uh, a, this certain type of glory that, that, that permeates every area of our life? Well, Paul, in chapter 3 uh, of Colossians, is going to walk us through that this morning. How do we become the best version of ourselves? Now, to become the best version of yourself, you first have to figure out who you are. It's this quest that we have for identity, figuring out who am I? What, what's my place in life? How do I define myself? It's a search because your identity isn't necessarily evident from the get-go, right? It, think of it like, uh, you see this in Captain Marvel. The whole first part of the movie is Captain Marvel figuring out who Captain Marvel is. It, it, it's a search because no one emerges from the womb with total clarity on who I am. It, we have to sort of navigate our lives, piecing it together, discovering who we are. And our culture says that you can find yourself, you can unlock your identity in, in basically one of two ways. One, you can self-actualize. You can look within yourself and find out who you are. Dig deep, dig down deep and become the best person you can be. You, you have to self-author yourself. You are in control. You are the one who defines yourself. You don't need to be defined by others. And you, you hear this sort of this, um, language or, or this mentality with, in some of the, the greatest speakers or, or, uh, of our time, or authors like Jordan Peterson and Rachel Hollis who are, you hear these overtones of this narrative. Unlock your full potential. Dig deep. You're in control. Make it happen. And so, in a sense, you, you find your identity by looking within yourself and pulling it out. So you self-actualize. That's, that's the first way. The second way is that you achieve your identity. You build your life. You build your identity around what you accomplish. And we use all kinds of external indicators to, to point to who or what we are, right? We use success and money and relationships and whatever sort of accolades or pat on the backs that we can get to say, okay, this is, this is what I'm good at, this is who I am, uh, and making those connections. And so there's a sense where we can find our identity in pretty much anything that we do, right? You can 
As a stay-at-home mom, there's a good chance that you find your identity in being a mom. Or, or if you're a business executive or, or a successful musician or an athlete, right? These, these things that we are good at, those are, the, those are the things that we use to say, okay, this is who I am. This is my identity. We use the roles, the relationships, the accomplishments that we have in our life to define who we are. And so in this sense, we're finding our identity from outside of ourselves, right? It's something that other people kind of say, yeah, this is who you are. You're good at this. And so we find our identity from the outside. And this can sort of work to some extent, but, but there's also a dark side to this. That, that if you are trying and attempting to either self-actualize or to uh, achieve your identity and you are consistently failing at what you do, there's a chance that your identity will start, start to be formed around the concept of, of being a failure, right? If if you struggle with addiction or, or you've been divorced or you just live a sort of unproduct, unproductive life, you're bad with your money, you're promiscuous or, or you just feel like a, a constant moral screw up, you just sort of adopt this mentality that I'm just a failure. Like I, I, I don't have anything put together for myself and, and so you sort of resign into this identity of I, I guess this, this is just who I am. Right? I, and, and in that you feel hopeless, feel stuck, like it's an identity that you don't necessarily want to own for yourself, but you, you can't really envision something better. And so what tends to happen is you, you have little or, or no self-worth, right? It, it's hard to view yourself uh, in a positive light because, well, I, I just don't see anything positive about myself. And so this idea of glory, right, this longing we have for glory seems like a pipe dream. It's impossible. How could I possibly get there? But even for those who do succeed at self-actualizing or a, a, of achieving their identity, it's actually a really fragile identity. It's like an old TV with rabbit ear antennas. It, it's super finicky. Um, one day you can have this crystal clear picture, right? Every channel's coming in just fine. The next day, for some reason, all you get on your screen is blizzard footage, right? The, the white you know, speckles popping up everywhere, every channel you turn to. Our, our identities are like that because all the things that we look to to, um, uh, to form an identity can be yanked out from underneath of us just in a matter of moments, right? And if, I think there's one thing, like one of the, the, uh, the buttons that this pandemic has been pushing on is for some of us, the places that we go to to find our identity uh, are, are diminished or, or we can't necessarily find those things, right? You, you, you get your identity going to work and excelling and being good and making great money, uh, doing sales or whatever it might be. You can't do that anymore and all of a sudden it feels like it gets yanked out from underneath you or you're staying at home with your kids and, and during normal times, you're killing it, you're crushing it. You could have an Instagram feed that's just devoted to how awesome of a mom you are and then all of a sudden, you know, you're here and you wanna pull your hair out and send your kids off you know, with grandma and grandpa for the next three months, right? It, it's easy to have that identity yanked right out from under us. And when that happens, it, it creates a sort of identity dysphoria. Like we're not exactly sure who we are anymore. We have this sort of line in our head that runs that if I'm not, you know, a, a stay-at-home mom, then who am, I, who am I? If I? If I'm not an artist, or if I'm not a teacher, if I'm not making money, then, then who am I? If I don't have these relationships that are so meaningful to me, then, then 
Who am I? What am I? Our identity gets thrown into a tailspin. We, we don't know who we are. Or you, you attain some sort of status. You, you reach the top of your field or, or whatever it might be, and you feel like you've, you've come to a place of, I finally established who I am, and then you, you have this inside feeling of just being disappointed, kind of let down. You, you feel unfulfilled. And so it's like, well, this, this doesn't satisfy me. I need to go find my identity in something else. The next thing, there's a, a new mountain to climb. There's a new identity to create for myself. And this is exactly why people have midlife crisis. People are just constantly searching for this. And, and when that happens, when we feel that dysphoria or you, you feel unfulfilled in whatever identity you've created and you try to restart, you go right back to square one. Because that glory hunger that we have, that, that longing that we have for glory, to be recognized, to be noted, needs to be fed. And this is why this can be a lifelong pursuit uh, of trying to figure out who am I, right? Who am I? Because we need to be recognized. But Christianity offers a better option to finding yourself. And it doesn't require inventing yourself. It doesn't require any sort of uh, achievement or self-actualization. Instead of looking inside yourself or looking to others for external confirmation of your identity, you look up. You, you, you look up to Jesus because that's where he is. That's what verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us, that, that Jesus has been raised, that he is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God the Father. And verse 3 goes on to say that, that our life is hidden with Christ in God. Or, or verse four says, Christ who is your life. When Christ who is your life appears, right? All of this stuff is identity language. It's pointing to, to the true source of your identity. It can only be found in Jesus. Now the underlying doctrine that Paul is getting at here through the writing of the, of the letter to the Colossians is the union with Christ. We've seen this language pop up literally from chapter one, verse one of this letter all the way through till now and it's gonna keep coming up where, G, where Paul is talking about because we are united to Christ by faith, we have this withness with Jesus. That, that, that I think this is maybe perhaps the most beautiful doctrine of Christianity. It, it's, it's, it's that I am with Jesus, and he is with me. And you see this, every, even through this passage, I think there are three or four references to this where you see it um, in Christ, with Christ, with him, in him. That's all, every, every one of those little phrases, Paul is pinging the, uh, this, this concept of our union with Christ. He tells us that because uh, when our faith is in Jesus, our life gets profoundly connected to his. That, that our lives sort of become uh, wrapped up together, so much so that, that he says that, that we have died with him, that we have been raised with him, that, we, that our lives are hidden in him, that we will be revealed with him. So what he's getting at here is, is this identity. So much of you, or all of you actually, is defined when you're in Christ, when you're Christian, defined by Jesus' person and work. And by faith, 
Everything Christ is, you now become. His righteousness becomes your own. Now this is, an accomplished, is not an accomplishment. This is not something that we achieve, that we work our way up in some sort of la- levels of spirituality to finally lay hold of this, this sort of union with Christ. No, this is a gift. This is a gift that's given to anybody who's willing to receive it by faith. And, and like any good gift, it, it's sort of, it's concealed in a sense. It's, it's wrapped up, right? You give somebody a birthday present, you're gonna wrap it up. You're gonna put it in a gift bag. You're gonna con- conceal it in some sense. And so it is with our union with Christ. This is a, a mystery, a profound mystery. We don't understand this from the get-go. Like, we need to be taught. We need to, to have this unpacked for us to understand how deeply we are united to Christ and the implications of all these things. And this is one of the reasons why we need to, to be evangelists. This is why we need to live on mission because there are people who are searching. And they're searching it's like they're opening up all of these boxes. They're unwrapping all these boxes only to find nothing, thinking that this, this, this gift, this box that I'm opening is gonna deliver on the identity that I'm hoping for, and they open it up, and it's nothing. See, Christ is the true gift. He, he gives it to us. We, we unwrap it. We, we unpack it. We, we see it for what it is, and he meets us himself. He, he gives us himself. And when we find Jesus, right, when we, when we get that gift, or, or rather when, when Jesus finds us, that's when we become our true self. That's when we find our identity. And in fact, this is why scripture uses language like you are born again. You have a, a new life in Christ. He, he's speaking about, scripture's speaking about here in Jesus, our true identity, who you are looking to be, who are you, like who you are at your core is finally revealed. This is your identity that you found in Jesus. Now Paul has been unpacking this through the first couple chapters of, of the book of Colossians of like who you are in Christ, what Jesus has done for you. So, so here we see a shift in chapter three where Paul has been going from talking about the indicatives of what has been done by Jesus on your behalf to now shifting to the gospel imperatives. Meaning, because this is who you are in Christ, because your identity is in Christ, because Christ has delivered you from the domain of darkness, transferred you to the kingdom of the beloved son, because he's forgiven your sins, because he's given you a new life, Here's how you now live into that reality. And so you see this progression even laid out in verse one of chapter three. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, or, or in other words, because you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So here we see who you are will influence what you do. Our doing flows from our being, not the other way around, which our culture is trying to get us to do, right? Our culture says your doing will lead to your being. Christianity says your being, who you are in Christ, will influence what you do. And the rest of Colossians, as we make our way through uh, chapter three and chapter four, will unpack what it looks like to become who you already are. Right, that's, that's the thing about Christianity. It's like you, you are already in Christ. And now we need to learn what it looks like to live our lives in Christ. And so this all begins in, in verses one through four of this, this, this chapter here. 
So the key to becoming who you already are in Christ is where you set your mind. It's really powerful. Verses one and two says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now this sounds really similar. If, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and it will be added to you. See, that, that, that the same idea here. Set your mind on things that are above. See, as you set your mind on things that are above, the more your identity is brought out. The more, the more uh, this identity that we have in Christ becomes realized or manifested in our own lives. So the question is how? How do we seek our, the things that are above? How do we set our minds on what is above? What does that look like to actually do that, right? Do, do we just think about heaven or, or think about angels floating through the skies? Like what, what does that actually look like? Well, that's not what it necessarily means here, but, but the first thing that we need to know as we step into this question is to, to realize that our, this is not our default tendency. Like our, our default tendency is not to medi- meditate on the things that are above. And part of that is because we are embodied creatures. We live in a physical world, and, and sometimes it seems like the physical world is far more present than the spiritual world, but that is not the case. In fact, this is why Paul reminds us at the end of chapter two that we need to be warned to not set our minds on things that are of the earth, right? Because that's where our default is gonna go. We're gonna think about what's, what's in front of us. It seems that this is the most real at the moment, this is the most pressing, and so it's gonna get our attention. Now, when Paul says don't think about the things that are on the earth, it doesn't mean to never think about anything earthly, right? He's not saying, you know, forget about going to work, forget about taking care of your body, forget about your family. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, don't let the things that are of earth, on earth, the physical things, distract you from the heavenly things, the spiritual reality. In fact, C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And so, Paul, again, saying don't let the earthly things distract you. Don't let those things be the things that, that, that are up in front of your face that, that prevent you or distract you from this heavenly reality of, of, that you have of who you are in Christ. And I think this is very relevant in the midst of, of a pandemic, right? It seems like the, the thing that's the most demanding is we've got to be protected about our, our health or, or maybe our financial situation. These things are, are sort of nagging at us constantly, We've got the news that's sort of beating this drum. You, you know, what's next? What's coming up next? Got to pay attention to this. And so it kind of gets up in your face. It's like, this is what you need to think about. Or don't think about it, right? Use something else to drown out the noise. Use Netflix or social media or, or bury yourself in, in house projects to keep yourself busy. But even if we do that, we, we are getting distracted from the heavenly reality of who we are. And so Paul, again, saying, don't, don't lose sight of what's most real about you. Because if you're in Christ, if you're, if you're a Christian, the thing that's most real about you is that your identity is in Christ. 
Now, I think, I think the way that Christians most grievous, grievously sin, or, or maybe the fountainhead of all sins, is when we forget who we are in Christ. Like, it's when we, when we have that sort of identity, like temporary identity dysphoria, where we forget our identity, that we, we've been adopted into God's family, that we, we are beloved, that we are chosen, that we're, we've been uh, qualified to share in the inheritance. And so what happens is we sort of revert back to this, this earthly mindset where we have to make a name for ourselves. We have to create our identity and what we do. We've got to self-actualize, dig deep, and, and bring out what's in us already. And so in doing so, like, like the bad part about this is, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad to dig deep and to bring out the best in you and to, to strive to that end. That's not, that's not what's bad, but defining yourself in that thing, that is, that's where we start to verge on sin because we're saying, you know, this identity that I have in Christ, that, that's, you know, that, that's nice, but, you know, that's not enough. I, I need to add to it. And so we start to look elsewhere for our worth and our value and our sense of identity. Now, w- when that comes to be the reality, Listen, there's good news. Because here, here we're told that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, what's Jesus doing right now? Like, what, what is Jesus doing up in heaven right at this moment? You know what he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's going to the Father. He's like, he, he looks at us, he's like, I, I know you're, you're still sinning. I, I've paid the price for sin. You know, I, I, I've, I've put the knife to the throat of, of the power of sin and death, you know, and that's going to be finalized at one point, but, but there's still this in-between period, the already but not yet, which we are living in right now, where we still sin, where we fail to lay hold of this identity and really believe uh, who we are in Christ. And so Jesus is sitting at, next to the Father and reminding him, I've paid for this sin. I've, prayed, I've paid for their forgetfulness of, of where their identity come from. So we can take great comfort in knowing that, that Jesus is standing there like pointing to the cross. I, I've forgiven them. Right, look, I paid the price right there on the cross. And because of that, that gives us confidence. It gives us confidence to like confess our sin. Like th- this, is, this is where I've been going to find my identity. This is what I've been looking to to define myself. And so we can freely confess that that's the case and then repentance, we cling to Jesus. And, and it's as we cling to Jesus that, that it sort of serves as a shutoff valve for all the other sin in our life, right? The more you cling to Jesus, the more you're satisfied in him and the, and the less you have to look to other places to fill those longings, to look, to find that, that gratification, to find that identity, and the way that we hit that shutoff valve, the way that we you know, give it the turn is by actively and intentionally setting our mind on Jesus or setting our mind on the things that are above, right? That's, that's speaking specifically about Jesus. So what does this mean? What does it mean to set our mind on Jesus? Like we get a little picture of Jesus out and we just stare at it for a couple minutes a day. No, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know if that, that may or may not be helpful. I don't particularly think so, but, but what does this mean? Well, I think it means that we have to fixate. We have to be people who obsess about the gospel. 
Right, we, we, we've got to rehearse this gospel in my head. You know, I, this is what it looks like for me. Like this week, I've been, I've been struggling about my identity. It's been hard to not have people in the pews to, to, to preach to or even the face-to-face interactions with, with pastoring. And so there's a sense where I've had this identity dysphoria of like, if I'm not a pastor, then who am I? And so I've been wrestling with this over the last five weeks or so and, and just always coming back to this reality that whether I'm a pastor or not, like my identity is secure in Christ. That's who I am. That's what I am. I am in Christ. And so we need to fixate on this gospel, meditate. We gotta meditate on God's beauty, right? Who is God? What are his characters, characteristics, right? And we, we have this curriculum that we use in missional community, the four Gs. God is good, God is gracious, God is glorious, God is great. I almost forgot the fourth one. Right, we, we fixate on this, we meditate on his beauty, right? Because there's nothing more compelling in, in this world, in, in life, than beauty, right? We're drawn to beauty. So we, we meditate on God's beauty. Well, it, it also means that we recall his promises, especially in the midst where we feel like we're in the dark in a sense, right? We, we, we remember that God has a promise that's for us. He's for our good. He will not forsake us. And so we recall his promises and we set our mind and our hope on those things. We, we identify evidences of grace in our life. Now, I think this is, a, this is probably the most important time in our lives to be giving ourselves to the practice of, of identifying these evidences of grace. Right, places where God's been at work, where we can say, okay, he, here he's at work. Here I see a, a little glimmer of the kingdom of God breaking through here in this earth. And I can, I can remember that. I can recall that. I can give thanks to God for those things. And in that way, we're, we're, we're setting our mind that on things that are God, right? Just as we pray the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Those evidences of grace are the kingdom breaking through. And then just even practicing the presence of being with Jesus. This is hard. I, I think it's maybe to, to sit in silence, to, to, to move from this season where we're in where we're sort of isolated, which seems like it might be a really good uh, a segue into the season of solitude, uh, of becoming comfortable in, in quiet and not needing all the distractions that keep us preoccupied, but actually just sitting and being present with Jesus, right, and setting our mind on him. What does it look like to commune with him, to, to, to exercise our union with him in a daily and personal and relational way? Now, to do any of these things requires a level of intentionality. Like I said, this is not just the natural default for us as Christians. You don't accept Christ, and all of a sudden, all of our previous tendencies and, and, and previous hardwirings get shifted. Right? This is something that we have to give ourselves to intentionally, and, and we do this by spending time in God's word. Right, we, we need to open up our Bibles that's gonna point us to the promises of God, the character of God, what, what he has done for us. One of the resources that we made available at the beginning of the year, still available, uh, is the Dwell Bible app. You can get on your phone, just scripture. You can listen to it on, on your drive. If you're driving places, if you're uh, you know, better than, than podcasts that you might, you know, as good as I like podcasts and whatnot, but but this is the word of God that has the power to transform us, has the power to change us, to cut us to the heart, right? We, we give ourselves intentionally God's word and prayer. And, and not just a prayer that goes and is always asking for something, right? I, I, you know, there's, there's a right time and place to ask God, right? Give us health, give us stability, give us, you know, give us 
our normal lives back. But to go to God in a prayer in in sort of like an intimate and personal way. And there are all kinds of other resources that can help us to set our mind on things that are above. There's all kinds of books. If you're here, I'd point you to, to the bookstore. Otherwise, there's Amazon. If you need a good book to read, I'll tell you. Hit me up. You know, comment in the thing below. I'll shoot you a message. But we've got all kinds of books, all kinds of, of, of gospel-centered sermons that are available to you, conferences, things like that that just help us pull our mind away from the, 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 the temporal and set our mind on things that are eternal, things that are set in the heavens. And as we do this, as we... Uh, steep ourselves in God's word and in prayer. This is the means to our transformation. This is how you become the best version of yourself in Christ. In fact, I said this last, last week that, that we become the most robust expression of our existence when we cling to Jesus. It's not that our identity gets rewritten, or, or not our identity, excuse me, our personality. It's not like, you know, we're trying to be conformed to a certain type of Christian personality. No, Jesus takes our personality, all our uniqueness, all of our unique wirings, and, and he infiltrates himself and he, he beautifies us from the inside out. And so we, we keep our distinct, unique personalities. But Jesus enhances us in a way that you can't even imagine. And Paul, in verse chapter four, he has, or in, in verse four of chapter three, he has this eschatological view of what what this looks like, like the, the end times in verse four. Here he says, when Christ who is your life, so when Christ who is, you and him are, are, are united, your, your life wrapped up in his, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there, there's, as what Christians profess is that Jesus will come again, right? Jesus is gonna come again and the kingdom that he, he inaugurated, that he began at his uh, life, death, resurrection is going to be consummated, it's gonna be fulfilled in all of its fullness and when he does that, he's coming in glory. He's coming in splendor and radiance and guess what? If you're in Christ, you are there with him, beaming in glory. His glory is hidden right now, right? Not, not all of us can see it, and not all of us can see it to the fullest, but Jesus will make himself, he will reveal himself. The hiddenness of his glory will uh, be opened up so all can see, and it will become evident. And when this happens, we'll be with him too. We too will be with him in, in glory, and as we talk about glory, really, what is glory? Well, I think of the two main ways to think of glory is sort of in, in beauty and in strength, right? So the, the beauty of the glory, like our beauty and our glory, Ephesians chapter five talks about this. When Jesus appears, what, he, what did he die to accomplish? Well, he died to sanctify, to cleanse the church of, of her sins so that on that last day, he can present the bride of Christ, uh, the church, to himself in splendor and radiance uh, without blemish, right? There's this, this beauty, this loveliness about the church that, that it's like, uh, like when in a wedding, the, the bride stands at the back of the church and, and walks her way down. Everybody stands up, right? Because why? They're, they're, they're taken by her beauty, by this glory that she has, Right? Maybe, maybe there's been no other day in her life where she has been as radiant as that day. That's what Jesus is doing with the church. That he's making us beautiful. He's working on us to that end where all of the ugliness of our sin will be extracted so that all that remains is glorious beauty. There's also this sense of glory and strength. Right? You, you can see it with, with athletes. You, you, the, the glory of Michael Jordan, his 
I don't know why Michael Jordan is you know he's I've talked about him too much already but you see this glory he's got this athletic strength this athletic ability and we see this sense of strength in Jesus's glory that that we are hidden with Christ in God and this word hidden has has a kind of a dual meaning so it's hidden and concealed, but also hidden in the sense of being sheltered. You see this in the Psalms. We're hidden underneath the shelter of, of an eagle's wings. We're protected that he's, he's sort of a, a cleft that we hide in. And so there's a sense where he's talking about the hiddenness or that our identity hidden in Christ is that we are kept, we are sheltered, that, that our, our identities are secured by him. The strength, this glory that Jesus has. And so that those who he has saved, those he has called to himself, that he will be able to present in glory. He's keeping us, not only is he saving us, he's keeping us saved. So that our identity in Christ will last through this life and into eternity. Now, this eschatological view of this glory being presented, right, where Jesus appears in glory, where the the church is there with him, there's gonna be this grand opening uh, of the kingdom of God, right? This, this grand moment where boom, it's in its fullness, here's day one uh, of the rest of eternity. But in the meantime, there's a soft launch that's happening. You know, like a, a business opens up, right? They, they've got their grand opening, which is like a couple weeks after their soft launch, where they're getting the, 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 the kinks worked out, where everything's getting ironed out. That's what's happening now, that Jesus is going to present us in this fullness of glory, but he's gradually changing us from one degree of glory to the next. That's what what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. He talks about as we behold the glory of Jesus, as we set our mind on things that are above, Jesus is actually changing us from one degree of glory to the next. Right, think of it, it, it's a slow, it's a slow, gradual process, but slowly and surely, we are becoming more and more like Christ the more we hold fast to him. And think of it in sense of, it's not like, maybe there are gonna be times in our life where we have these huge incremental jumps of Christ-likeness. I, th- I think there was a season of my life in college where I feel like there was just a lot of growth that happened, and maybe it's not as much as I thought it was in the grand scheme of things, but, but it felt like, man, I grew a ton in this short amount of time. But if you think about it, one degree of glory uh, in, in the sense of uh, a thermostat, right? You, it's hard to tell the difference between 70 degrees and 70, 71 degrees. It's hard to tell a difference between 71 degrees and 72 degrees. But that's the sort of incremental growth that Jesus is bringing about. He's transforming us slowly from the inside out. Now, I think we have a temptation in this season where it's like, so, it's like government-mandated social isolation where, where we think that this can only happen sort of in, in the confines of our own homes and sort of isolation. But what we saw last week uh, in, in the end of chapter 2 is that this cannot be done. This beautification of ourselves cannot be done in isolation. In fact, the, the aim of all of this is not an individualistic goal that we would individually become the most beautiful versions of ourselves or the most glorious version of ourselves. See, the aim that Jesus has is a collective beauty, 
that the church together would be united in, in, in the full sense of it, almost as if we're like united to Christ ourselves. So this individualistic sense where I am united to Christ, well, that's happening across the board with all Christians, where we are being united together as we are grafted into Christ. And so as Christians, we have to realize that we are being beautified together. And in fact, sometimes our brothers and sisters are the means in which Jesus is working out this beautification process in relationship with other Christians, which is why it's so important for us, even in this time, for us to stay connected now. Jesus is at work through the church. And and even if we can't be together in this room, even if I'm preaching to, to colorful hearts with your names written on it, we can't be together in the flesh, Jesus is still building his church. He's still beautifying his people. As I close... Let me just say this, whether you're a Christian or you're not yet a Christian, the key to finding yourself is to look to Jesus. It's, it's to learn who he is, right? Maybe you don't, you know, you hear this stuff about identity and Jesus. I don't know what that means. I don't even know who Jesus is. Well, here, here's what you need to do. You, you need to learn who he is, right? Jump, jump into a missional community with us as we dive into who God is, what he's done, investigate what Jesus has done for you. Find the significance. Like, pursue him because he's pursuing you. And in doing so, you find yourself. And and for those of us who already hold fast to Jesus and and call ourselves Christian, we've placed our, our faith in him, let us become who we already are in Christ. Let us Step into the glory that awaits. Know that God is at work. What he has begun, he will see through to completion. And let's do this just because Jesus has emptied himself of his glory for us. At the cross, he faced the weakness that sin had. He, 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 he was the ugliness of humanity at the cross. And he did this. He endured the cross so that we could become all that he is. So instead of sin, we become holy. Instead of weakness, we could become strong in him. And it's by the grace of God that this happens. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that your salvation is so thorough that you don't just you know, give us a get out of jail free card or, or get out of hell free card, but you actually bring us into yourself in, in the most profound way, that, that our lives become wrapped up in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see Christ as, as more beautiful than anything else this world could offer. I would pray that you would see, show us that he is our true source of identity, that in him our souls are satisfied, that that glory hunger that we have can be fed and met. And I pray, Father, for those who are seeking and searching to find who they are, I pray they would look no further than Christ. And for those of us who cling to Jesus, God, would you continue beautifying us? Would you continue transforming us from one degree of glory to the next so that we would be able to stand before your throne full and complete without spot or blemish, lacking nothing, not because we've accomplished this, not because we've self-actualized, but because we hold fast to Jesus, because we've, we've put our trust in him and the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.